Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Tarians? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Today on the show, Danachka Khan is here, the creator of Fresh Off the Boat and also the recent film that uh, I enjoyed, Always Be My Maybe. Uh, she directed that. It's starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. Uh, Fresh Off the Boat's been on for a while now. It's in its sixth season. And she's got a great story, a great show business story, a great uh, sort of first generation story, uh, a great, uh, I, you know, she comes from the world of uh, animation, actually, which uh, I don't talk to too many people that start there and end up in reality. <laughs> they, they ease out of animation and and then, uh, then come into reality. So, all right, I think that there's a, a creeping theme happening around uh, Buddhism. I, it, could it be? Is it possible? I, I I don't know what's going on with my mind. I moderated a conversation with Sophie Huber and Herbie Hancock after the screening of uh, Blue Note Records behind the notes uh, over here, right down here in Glendale at the Lamley. Great movie. Great uh, educational movie. And I was supposed to do the Q&A with uh, Sophie, and it was just down the street. I figure, okay, she kind of got me last minute. But then she said Herbie was coming, and then I got incredibly nervous. Herbie Hancock being one of the founding architects of modern jazz, I think we can say that. One of the transition folks who's been, you know, just doing it for like 60, 60 years probably or more. So I was nervous because this was, but then once I focused in on it, it was really just a short chat with two people about the film, about Bruno. But it just turns out that he's just a very uh, deep guy and a, a, a Zen dude, thoughtful uh, in conversation, as well as his uh, incredible musicianship. But there was something in the movie. Maybe I'll get him on a WTF. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, may, I, I did meet him and I think it would be good. I'll work on it. That said, there was something in the movie that struck me that Wayne Shorter said, the great uh, sax player. And then it was sort of confirmed that he said when they started doing that music, bebop or the jazz that they were working on, which and Herbie sort of said this as well, that you know they knew they were doing something that requires something other than just passive engagement, that they were doing something that was in the realm of art for sure. They knew that what they were doing was not for everybody, and they knew that they were doing it in a pure expression sort of form, and they, they knew that, that what they were doing was not commercial product. 
And and Wayne Shorter said something about that he just wanted to feel that he was doing something of value, something of value. And then Herbie sort of said that. And then Herbie said that they were both uh, both are, are are Buddhists and have been for years. And I don't know that that has anything to do with doing something of value over something commercial, over something uh, selfish, over any just am I putting something out in the world of value? And that's enough. You know, I, I am I am pure in my expression of this. It comes from the right place. Is it a value? I can't control that. But is it a value? And I never really thought of that. And, and certainly I, I never really thought about it as myself. But it's an interesting way to think about it in a world where, you, you know, when people say things like uh, that was very on brand about humans. You know, like I'm a human. And when somebody when I do something, when I lose my mind or rant and rave or you know, have certain verbal tics or whatnot. And people go, well, that was very on brand. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not a brand. I'm not a corporation. Why are we buying into the court's definition of, uh, if they're going to allow corporations to identify as people in a legal sense, and we don't have to meet them there. We don't have to present ourselves as, uh, corporate entities uh, or to describe ourselves like that. It's sort of like, am I on brand with the content I'm putting out? <laughs> that's a human talking about a human how about i'm trying to to speak from my heart and create from my heart and put something of value into the world it kind of resonated with me that and you know all this jazz i'm dumping into my head man uh some cat just sent me a record by someone named mary halverson uh the mary halverson octet and it's fucking just just disassembled my brain and put it back together in a new way that that's a that's of value hey do you like that movie do you like that music did you like that uh that piece of art yes it disassembled my brain and then reassembled it in a different new way and i think it's gonna stick man i think it's gonna stick david lee roth right everybody love that david lee roth thing man that talk a little Buddhist in there too. A little Buddhist thread. The Buddhist is creeping up. The Buddha's creeping up on me. You know, I'm not I'm not a searcher in that way, but you know, I am sort of a push awayer. I'm not a searcher, I'm a push awayer. Pow. But uh I don't know, maybe maybe there is something spiritual to be had. Dig it. How about some emails? But thank you for all the feedback on uh, the David Lee Roth. I, I I was really elevated by the whole thing. I really enjoyed it. And it seemed that I sort of was able to manage something that uh, people who have talked to him in the past have not managed, which was just to manage at all. Emails, turning 60 and filling my head with good things. Subject line, Mark, in years past, I couldn't even tell you what day my birthday fell on, but I'm turning 60 fucking years old on July 15th. And I've been preoccupied by it all year. A lot of reflection, a lot of ghosts along the highway. I try to get through each day as best I can. Recently, I believe you were in Ireland. You commented that you, quote, try to fill my head with good things, unquote. That's become one of my recurring themes. 
Good books, good music, and good people. Thanks for that one, brother. Several years back, I tried your podcast because you had Dave Alvin on, and I've been hooked ever since. And you're here every Monday and Thursday. Thank you for that. As I stumble my way along, I find heartbreak just as devastating as when I was a kid, but life can also be sweet as fuck. Thanks for always being there. Rave on. Cheers. Joe. Thanks, Joe. I'm glad I put something out into the world of value. Try to fill your head with good things. Because good things is broad, man. You mean you put stuff in your head and you don't know how it's going to fucking work your brain and work your perception and work your heart. You know what I mean? That's why you got to keep putting stuff in. We get into habits. You know, we get into immediate gratification. We get into the binge thing. Binging on anything. Binging, like this idea of binge watching. binge, Binge is not good. It's not good, but we do it. But just know that there's a hangover. There are repercussions. There's a, a void after the binge. That's the thing is that they're creating voids. They're out there. They know we're binging and then they create a void. What do you do with that void? Well, you're lucky. We've got plenty of garbage to fill it with. Some of it's not garbage. Some of it is a uh, heightened garbage or enlightened garbage. But don't worry about your void. This particular culture and media landscape, they will just fucking bulldoze content into your void. As soon as you open the ditch, man, there you go. Binge, there's a ditch. Bring the bulldozer in to fill the void with content. Anyway, thanks for the email, man. Good things, man. Good things in your head. Another one, subject line, David Lee Roth. I usually rode to your podcast and my tempo was much faster listening to your David Lee Roth interview. <laughs> what a blast. Enjoying your podcast. Thanks, Mark Maron, Margaret. Yeah, look at that. I got people, me and Dave made those oars go faster. Pulling those oars. Buddha's on my trail. He's gaining on me. The Buddha is gaining on me. Hmm. Am I on brand? Am I being on brand right now? Is my content coming out of my face? Is it on brand? Is it... Whoo, man. I'm all lit up today. Nanachka Khan is here. What a great conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to her about her... uh, her, her, her creative path and about where she comes from and about how she uh, she pulled it together uh, to make uh, Fresh Off the Boat, which is in its sixth season, a hit on ABC. She also directed the Netflix original film Always Be My Maybe, starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. And uh, great story. And, and, and she's going to, and we're going to talk about it. She's going to tell it right now. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but 
but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Oh. For some reason, I'm remembering that. Remember that crazy woman who wore adult diapers and drank energy drinks? Oh, yeah, and drove the astronaut. And drove, yeah, drove the astronaut. And She was, was the astronaut. Was she the astronaut? I think she was the astronaut. That and, was the sad, horrible thing about it. Is that <laughs> she, she got obsessed with a, a man or something. Yeah, it was she, definitely obsession. Yeah, but I think she was a, like an astronaut. And she drove across country yes. and didn't want to stop. Yeah. So she had like like Red Bulls and adult diapers. <sighs> well, you know, she planned ahead on that level. You know, like she, <laughs> yeah. she definitely <laughs> she knew what she had to do and how she was going to do it. That was her NASA training. <laughs> So do you, what part of town do you live or where do you live? Los mm. Feliz somewhere? Yeah, just above Los Feliz, like oh, Beachwood Canyon. so not Canyon. far? No, not far at all. How long have you lived here? Uh, I've been in LA for a long time. I went to college out here. So I went to USC and then just sort of stayed. And Oh, really? But yeah. you didn't grow up here? No, I was born in Vegas, actually. I don't know how that happens. I've only known one <laughs> other person that I talked to. I don't know. You know, my parents were kind of just like moving around. They lived, you know, in Washington and New York and a lot. My dad was a salesman. Where did he come from? He comes from, he's an immigrant, right? Yeah. First generation guy. Comes from Iran. Both my parents are from Iran. Do you still have family there? I still have family there. Yeah. But I, you know, we don't go back. I mean, it's too dangerous. Well, what do you like what, with what's happening now? Do you talk to those family members to, <laughs> or is this just an ongoing thing it's in an, terms of? Yeah, it's an ongoing thing. I mean, I talk to family members who are here like right. in the U.S. But yeah. Very rarely. Right. You know, uh, back in back in Iran. Because, I mean, the, the perception of it is so, you know, it is what it is here. You know, and you yeah. just assume like I, I know a couple of more Iranian uh, American like you know, Maz Jirani I know and, mm-hmm. and, and they don't. You know, it it just it just seems that that we have no understanding as Americans what's really going on over there. And generally, right. when you hear about it, it's like, yeah, it's just a bunch of regular people with a weird ruling government. Right, right, totally, a completely religious ruling government. But the rest of the country is just having a party. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's always the impression. It's always get. the th- especially with like the young women. They always say like, oh, they're so fashion conscious and mm-hmm. fashion forward and everything yeah. like that. But it's so. But you can kind of get a glimpse with this administration yeah. here how the government can control the narrative, right? Sure. Like, so whatever they want you to think, especially with a smaller country, w- exactly. Right. And there is no, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are small sort of independent, you know, newspapers or somehow right, right. you can get information, coffee shops, and something <laughs> <you're right. laughs> like some like acoustic sets, yeah, like yeah. some poetry, some poetry yeah. jams. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, and you you would have to imagine that like with a country that is more intimate and more sort of nationalized in a very specific way, that you know they they probably you know put the mind fuck on a lot of people or yeah here like you know thank God it's 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 not as big a minority as I'd like but there there's more than you'd think but they can really. With the controlling the narrative thing can really yeah. put the mind zap on people. It's wild. I mean, all that like, horrendous. you know, it's crazy, like false information being spread. And then like, you and know, people who know. live in these like I was thinking about that, you know, initially about like uh, fresh off the boat that the fact that this this is that show which you created and run. Mm-hmm. 
is only the second one or so of a uh, Asian American family being depicted on television. Definitely, yeah, on network like, TV. Right, on yeah. uh, there was Margaret Show That's years right. ago. 94. But I wonder, like, the question I guess I had in relating to what we're talking about is it because, like, the could that have happened ten when there was only three networks? Not really, right? Have that show on the yeah. air? I mean, I don't know. You know, that's a good question. Like, I think that when Margaret's show came out in 94, was there pretty much three networks? I, I think mean, so, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it didn't last that long, did it? No, it didn't even last. A, I think it lasted maybe a season. Because I think, like, because of the expectations and because of the exact same reason we have these bubbles that create monsters, mm-hmm. you also have a fragmented media uh, uh, sort of landscape where mm-hmm. if you can grab your audience... And, and hold them, you know, the numbers aren't relative to what they used to be. So you can have right. that show on, right. a, on a network. Right. Because exactly. you, can, you can find the people and they come. Right. Right? Totally. And I think also it's, it's very necessary to have like, like-minded people in positions to pick up those kinds of shows, too. Right. Like, it would have been great if Margaret Show had worked or something like that because who knows what that would have changed in terms of the TV you know, network landscape for the next 20 years from 94 right, right. until we came out in you know, yeah. 2015. Um, so you're saying if there was some courage on the executive level, we might have had uh, more representation of of, uh, of different types of people. I think it's courage. And I also think it's like it's that thing where, you know, when you get one shot, you're not allowed to fail. Right. You know, so because her show didn't work. Yeah. I think they were like, well, people don't want to see that. You yeah. know what I mean? Asians so, are out. Asians are out. They're not in. <laughs> we don't need them. So I think, yeah, like I think like that's the. That was the mindset, yeah. and it would have been cool to have seen because when you did have way more eyeballs on network TV before it all got splintered and everything, it would have been amazing to have shown other kinds of right. cultures and people and families to a lot more people. To a lot more people, it might have been a bulwark against the you know the the horrible things that are happening now. Through because I always think about that 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 you know there was something good about three networks Mm -hmm. because if something did get through like everybody was sort of on the same page right and everyone's having the same conversations about the same shows i mean it seems like that's less freedom but it was also a a more defined national conversation yeah for sure i mean it was it it was such a huge influence i mean now i guess we have game of thrones as the only thing that is kind of yeah fantasy it's like what i mean but like but it's like those are the kind of shows though it's not people aren't watching her organically. They begin to feel like they have to. Right. Yeah. You know, right. It's just like this weird, you know, nerd peer pressure. Like I, <laughs> right. I didn't watch any of them. And then when you say something like that, they're like, "Oh, so you're so cool." It's like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? You it's lose t- subscribers. You're like, a, what? What it's happened? It's a TV show. I did. I tweet. I hardly ever tweet, and I tweeted some criticism. Oh boy. And uh, that de- that is definitely the world where. It, and I liked starting the shitstorm because it's hilarious. To right. Me. Right. We're gonna get this hung up. Like you can't get people on. You know, to sort of. Speak Speak out about these abortion bans, but That's like it. Game of Thrones, it's like, no, oh, shut up. I know this ending did not serve <laughs> the story. You know. John Snow fans coming yeah, out. I don't. Yeah, I don't even know any of. I don't know anything about it. Right. I mean, I love that you weighed in, even though you didn't know anything about it. Like, well, that's, that's how amazing. I weighed in. Yeah. I said, uh, I'm just tuning in on this final episode. <laughs> I, I'm a little lost. Could somebody tell me what's happening? <laughs> just a quick recap. <laughs> and they just went ballistic. They went nuts. That's it's so like, funny. Yeah, I, I just find that I'm getting old and I, and I don't care as much and I, I can't pay attention to everything. I just have this image of your fake wife coming in to defend you on <laughs> Twitter being like, leave him alone. <laughs> My husband is stressed. <laughs> I should create a fake wife. See, that's the thing you can do now. I can no, just create a fake wife. And then, 
Um, so, so Vegas. So why'd they end up in Vegas? So you grew up in Vegas? I was born in Vegas. We lived there for, you know, a number of years. And then my family moved to Hawaii because my dad got another job. So Do you remember Vegas or was how when, were, when um, did you leave? I remember Vegas. I left when I was pretty young, maybe oh. like nine. Oh, so you didn't have to go through your formative years in that no. weird city? <laughs> no, but my brother. So after I graduated just high school. There's just me and my brother. Yeah. Uh, I graduated high school in Hawaii and I went to USC and then my family moved back to Vegas. So my brother went, did his like last two high school years in Vegas. Oh, he's younger than you? Yeah, he's younger than me. And he's in show business? He is a sports media agent at CAA. I don't know how you both got into show business. Isn't that weird? Not, is. No one in my family is, is. So what part of Hawaii? Except I just want to say that my yeah. dad wanted to be an actor. Oh, yeah. But he didn't. You a salesman. Know. I mean, it's close. Yeah. He has, uh, He has like, I have his old headshots in a book. Oh, he went that far. He went that far. I think he got like a guest spot on, I don't even know, Gunsmoke or something really? like that. Yeah, something. When he was out here? He ch- Yeah. He changed his name because it sounded too ethnic, you know, so he changed it to Philippe Monday. Wow. Yeah. What's the origin story of Philippe Monday? I don't know. And Monday was spelled with a U, like M-U-N. M-U-N-D-A-Y? Yeah, Monday. That was the one he came up with? (laughs) And that's what I guess he thought it sounded like French and exotic. Like, I don't (laughs) really know. You never asked him? I mean, I think I was like, where did it come from? And he was like, I don't know. It's just inspiration. Is he still around? Yeah, he's still around. Oh, you could probably get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I'll find out. Philippe Monday. (laughs) And in the show, in Fresh Off the Boat, we had a, a hairdryer, like a sit-down hairdryer that the dad sits in, which my dad used to do, by the way. Really? We had a full salon hairdryer. In your house? In our in our house. And he would sit under it. He'd put a hairnet on, sit under it, and then it read Sports Illustrated. Huh. Um, so we named that hairdryer in the show Philippe Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Philippe Monday 3000. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So your dad had this, uh, yeah, he, yeah. A, a fairly vain man, I vain guess. Vain man. He still dyes his hair jet black to this day. I'm like, Dad, you know, you're in your 70s. You know, it's like I don't think any, no one's buying that. Yeah, you know, you're like, not fooling anybody. No, and it's like it's the home thing, you know, with the gloves and the thing. Oh, really? So it's that weird black. It's that, got no completely. There's no way to sell it. Completely yeah. unnatural. A yeah. little skin, you know, is so like, that's black. Yeah, <laughs> a little tainted. <laughs> the scalp is black. <laughs> it's too black. <laughs> What, what what island were you on? Oahu. Yeah. Yeah, on the South Shore. And what was he that. built? What was he selling down there? Oh my gosh, he was selling everything. He was selling like vitamins and you oh, know, suntan real, lotion. It's a real hustler, huh? Hustler. Like just right now, he'd be like, "Mark, what do you need? You need some microphones? I got some in the trunk of my car. What do you mean? Like everything's in the trunk of his car." <laughs> That's so interesting because that is such a a like there there's something so essentially American about that. I mean, that was the dream. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. It's like you can make your life however you want to make it. Just yeah. you know, you just have to have your bullshit in order. That's it. I mean, that's it. You just catalog that bullshit. Yeah, and it's then like how do I out. bullshit the? I can bullshit a life here <laughs> for sure. That's crazy for sure. And so. he's, he's still working that angle. He's still he's still working that. He's slowing down, you know, yeah. but he's still like not so much stuff in the trunk of the car. <laughs> Not so much. No, there's there's less stuff in the trunk, but he's still. I think the other, you know, I don't know. A few weeks ago, was like pitched an idea for like a rest like a restaurant chain. Oh, really? To, to you? Me. Yeah, he was like, we should open a restaurant called Vegas in Vegas. I was like, why? Yeah. He's like, well, you know, because there's so much history in Vegas, and they've imploded all these hotels, and you could yeah. do like the old like Sahara and oh, whatever theme restaurant. A, a theme restaurant. Huh. And I was like, you know, I mean, maybe. <laughs> You got my dad's a big idea guy too. Oh, like he doesn't do it as much as he used to, but he used to come up with ideas. Like uh, one of them was like, you know, you have the you have a certain you put screens on the tables at McDonald's 
Like it was like this idea where you know there was going to be advertising. I'm like, you mean like the internet? You mean like computer? Like we have that already. That's already <laughs> existing. But he'd always have these ideas, and you just have to listen to him. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And nothing ever came of it, right? He no, just, it goes away. It goes away. What yeah. do you think you're going to do? What if you go like, okay, let's go. Right. Let's do it. Let me find a real but, estate agent. <laughs> yeah, and a backer, and we're going to make a restaurant. Yeah, that's it. We're Usually, gonna... I think they just—it's how they occupy their mind, and it just goes away. I think so too. I think so too. Just always ideas. And what's and your then... mom like? My mom is great. I mean, she uh, she was always a stay at home mom. Yeah, they called it homemaker. Oh yeah, back in the day. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so she was just sort of dedicated to me and my brother. And um, she's made. She's still with us, but she's in poor health now. Oh. So yeah, yeah. You know, I wish like like you know, Allie and Randall's movie's coming out. We're doing yeah. a premiere this and week. She can't come. She can't come, oh. which is a bummer. Yeah, but uh, how does it go? What what drove you to this job, like in in when you were in high school in Hawaii, were you doing right. plays and things? I mean, a little bit. You know, I wrote um, like a column for the school newspaper, just sort of like a I could write whatever I wanted. So I wrote about like you know, dumb stuff, like prom and uh-huh. you know, but, <laughs> island but comedically, stuff. comedically, yeah. And I remember really liking that feeling, like you know, whenever the paper would come out or whatever, yeah, people yeah. would come up to me yeah. in the hall and be like, oh, I read your thing. It was so funny. Yeah. Uh, and I liked that sort of time release. Yeah, that, you yeah, know, it, it's sure. not the immediacy of like what you guys do, like stand up right. or performance, but I like that people are sort of consuming it wherever they are right. and then coming to you and, 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 and you saying know, talking that. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was so, provocative. Yeah, I mean, listen, I blew started. the lid off of prom. You did? You just destroyed it? <laughs> what was did. the What was the angle? This is bullshit? I don't know. It was just something about hair. You know, oh, I right. don't know. Like, we're all t- get, spending all this money getting our hair done or something Renting like that. Renting dresses, That's buying it. dresses, getting those flowers. It's all a racket. <laughs> it's all the a racket. The whole goddamn thing's a racket. <laughs> prom is a racket. All right, so you're writing about prom. Yes. Yeah. And then you decide to, what, study yeah, so I um, when you live in Hawaii, you know yeah. it's too expensive to kind of go tour campuses. So during my senior year, I was applying to different colleges, and they uh, a lot of schools come to Hawaii and do like a seminar or whatever on the weekend. Give a presentation. Give a presentation and talk through the different you know whatever yeah. uh, things you can study. Mm. Uh, and there was USC came. And uh, I didn't want to go. It was a you Saturday. didn't know anything about USC, the reputation. I the, knew I had applied the film to, school and all that. I didn't know about the film school. I right. applied to USC and I'd gotten accepted as a. I think I put like I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I put yeah. like international relations. That's I one of those like, ones. It's like communications. That's it's it. Of, it's like okay, that sounds yeah. good. If communications, you're like I like my to family's talk. from another place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm international. <laughs> uh, you know, I like to relate. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I'd gotten accepted under that uh, school, and so my dad. And mom forced me to go to the uh, seminar. Yeah, and so I was there, and they were talking through, and I was kind of flipping through the brochure, and and then I saw uh, School of Cinema Television, and I read about it, and I told my dad, I was like, oh, this is actually what I want to do. Like, this sounds great. So we went to like the guy after he finished talking, and I was like, hey, you know, like I really am interested, and it was kind of like a thing where they laugh at you a little bit. They're like, this is very <laughs> difficult school to get into. You know, the but you were already in, right? I was in, but you know, the you cinema to, and television thing. Yeah, that's like a separate uh, admission. Oh, like right, you can right. get into USC, but not the right. School of Cinema TV. So, yeah. 
Um, I think now it's called School of Cinematic Arts or whatever. Okay. But anyway, so he was like, uh, the deadline for that school is like in a week and a half. So here's all you need. You can put together a packet and, you know, get it in and they'll consider you. So that was the hardest I'd ever worked in high school. Get the packet together? Getting the packet. You got to get the recommendations. You got to get like all the stuff you've ever worked on. The essay why. The essay why I need to go to the school. We had to write five movie ideas. Oh, really? That, uh, you know, were just like one page or whatever yeah so and then yeah submit the whole thing how are those ideas still around oh my god i hope not (laughs) (laughs) i I did write a script in school about garlic heads about people who follow garlic festivals around like their heads yeah that never went anywhere so that's that's (laughs) still available that's very that seems like a a good streaming uh, you could probably do it listen yeah make a web series the garlic heads just (laughs) pick a few garlic heads that's it that have problems with each other (laughs) yeah and and their approach to garlicness and we just start with them exploring different bulbs like what kind of garlic is this (laughs) it is sort of a weird idea do they really exist uh, well, the garlic festivals do. Like, yeah. There's one in, in uh, California. Gilroy. Gilroy. Right. That's it. The Gilroy Garlic. The Gilroy Garlic Festival. It's on the. It's on the. It's off the five, right? Somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I kind of remember that. That's off the five. Because you stop at a place uh, like a, a gas station there, and they have garlic everything. You can buy pickled garlic and garlic in jars. It's and... Ev- well, and then there's that restaurant, the Stinking Rose. That's in yeah, in San Francisco. I think there's one yeah. here too, though. I think there is on like La Cienega, I think. I never went there, and I lived in San Francisco for two years. I, I went. Never. There once, what? It, the uh, LA one. Oh yeah, it, it's it's rough. Really? I mean, it's so <laughs> you're hit in the <laughs> face by garlic. It's really a garlic themed restaurant for the most part. Everything has garlic. I mean, you don't have to choose garlic, but it right. just overpower it. Like the sm- oh, everything wow. smells like garlic. So you, okay, so but you didn't have to write a script to get in. No, no, no. Just oh. like the ideas and the packet and your essay. It's so wild that like, you know, you didn't really know what you wanted to do, but this like, it's a testament to people that put together uh, sort of like course description and catalogs. It is. That you're just sort of looking at these different, because I remember doing that when I was going uh, looking at colleges, you're just sort of like, this seems like my whole life right, right here on this, <laughs> this paragraph here seems to be a life. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to dedicate everything to this path based yeah. on these two paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. It's all been answered for me. Well, you know, I didn't even realize, like, I don't know how you felt about it, but I didn't know that people could make money doing that, like writing for TV or writing for movie. Like, I was a big movie I st- fan. I'm still not clear on it. <laughs> it seems like yeah. some people can, yes. Some people can. But a lot of people who even know that other people can, they never do. It's a, <laughs> right. It's a tough racket. No, I didn't know how anyone made money in show business when I wanted to be a comic. Yeah. I just knew I wanted to be a comic. Right. I didn't know how any of it, it I think I, until like I did my own show, really, did I not learn how it actually worked. Right. Well, even I don't know, like for, you know, for stand-up comics, like do you guys get paid in cash or is it like a All check? under the table. Yeah. Is it all in no, cash? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> like in, so, in suitcases. Like, <laughs> like the big comics, they, they demand being paid with a black briefcase just filled with bundles That's of money. That's it. Just click. Yeah. Ali Wong just opens open. up her. Yeah, you can ask her. They, she's making <laughs> the big cash. But I mean, like, when, when duffel you guys, bags of cash. That's it. She got those Gucci yeah, bags. Yeah, she does. Uh, no, but I mean, like, when you get big, yeah, but it just like when you're going up and someone's like, hey, do you want to come two nights a week? Oh, yeah, there's a shady element sometimes, but usually you get, you know, it, there was definitely a time where you're like, I don't, I don't want a check from you. Right. Give me, there's <laughs> right. definitely certain people. <laughs> 
you, you're working with a lot of different booking entities at that time before you represented properly. And, yeah. you know, you're doing one nighters and there were definitely people where you were like, yeah, you know, you got to pay me in cash. That's it. Like yeah. they're trying to pay you with a personal like Bugs Bunny check sure. or whatever. No, you're like, no, well, no. Or else they're just notoriously bad on the checks, you know, kind of going through. There was always that concern. Yeah. yeah. With the, more with the, the kind of, you know, uh, initial stuff, the one nighter stuff. And, right. You know, when and, you're on the come up, when you're trying to like. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. But once you're going to clubs that you're doing the week, you know, usually you're pretty good. Even some of them, though, you're like, are his checks any good? <laughs> you never knew when something was going out of business. But yeah. That's it. But eventually, yeah, you, you're, you're represented properly and you know, right. you can trust certain club owners who'll get your money. <laughs> right, but right. there's definitely cash sometimes, yeah. But that's the thing. Like, you never, I didn't know how to start. Like, I didn't know how you got paid or anything like that. I was just like, hey, you know, uh, I like movies. I like TV. I watch all of it. Yeah. Um, it is know. interesting that we think it's magic. Yeah. Like it initially, yeah. that, like it's obviously a huge business, but when you're younger, it's like, that's ridiculous. People make money doing this. Right. They make a fortune doing this. A fortune. So how did you learn? So you go, you, you, you get in and you're excited. Get in. I'm excited. Went to USC. Uh, did you learn this stuff? I learned, you mean writing? Well, I mean like the business. Um, You learn how things are made. You don't really learn the business angle yeah. of it, but you learn structure. You learn how TV to write shows a script. Are, yeah. Right. How to, you know, break a story, write a script, shoot something. You no business, learn. though. That's interesting. Not really. Weird, huh? Yeah. They don't really don't prep you for that stuff. Uh, but there is like programs within the film school, like the producer programs oh, or whatever, right. that are more business right. oriented. Yeah. But I was focused on writing was my primary thing. And that's what you did? That's what I did, yeah. For four years, I was out there writing, writing bad stuff. And but then, do you, uh, do like, is it a basic liberal arts curriculum? You got to do the other stuff, too? Did you take, like, history and art? And, you don't and, have to do that much other stuff, <laughs> really. <laughs> to be honest. You don't have to learn anything other yeah. than how to write a TV script. That's it. And they, <laughs> they're ready. They're preparing you for the real world. And then they just throw you out on, you know, Sunset Boulevard and say, good luck. <laughs> that's it. Good yeah. luck. <laughs> <laughs> You're on Pico with your resume and like two scripts. Pico. You're like, what's up? You just walk over to Fox, I guess. That's what you did. You just That's what I did. Walk down the street. <laughs> Got the number two bus. I don't know if there is a number two, but you know. Yeah, I do I know. know. <laughs> How does it end, though? So you get a degree, a four-year degree, and then you just, you've just you written some spec scripts in college? Yep, written some spec scripts. What got... specs did you write? Oh, I wrote, uh... <laughs> let's see, I wrote uh, Seinfeld. I wrote Murphy Brown. Mm. Murphy Brown was, it was, I think, like 78 pages. It was way too long. I think, you know, it's supposed to yeah. be uh, low 50s. Right. And uh, there were just pages and pages of monologues. And I was like, can't cut a word. Can't cut a word. We need everything from Jim. <laughs> Jim needs to say three pages. <laughs> That's it. It's a big show. It's, it's his this big, big episode. It's, it's all big, him. He's every. He's the crux of the story. <laughs> you guys don't understand because you haven't been to film school for four years. Um, no, but uh, yeah, wrote some bad uh, specs, and then somehow uh, one of my professors at the time like sent it to somebody who worked in Disney TV animation. Uh huh. And they hired me to kind of come on as like kind of a creative consultant, creative executive kind of thing. Really? Yeah. That was my first like real job. And you were like 20? Yeah, it's 20. And like, so like at this time, like I know, like I've been guilty of it and I know that there's like a, a lack of uh, uh, women representation in writer's rooms. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what was your ex first experience with that? 
well, I started out in kids animation. Yeah. You know, so that was different. Like, yeah. that's just kind of, uh, you know, the Wild West a little bit. Like, it's not even covered by the Writers Guild. There's a whole separate guild for kids for animation. Kids? Really? That's Ayatsi. Like yeah. Ayatsi? Yeah. What is that? It's this animation guild that, you know, so all this, like SpongeBob, like all those, like Nickelodeon. That's got to be like shows. huge money. It's yeah. not even under AFTRA? No. Weird. You don't get residuals or anything like that. That's a racket. I know. That was wild. That That's what, I mean, if the WGA wants to start focusing on issues, there's a whole swath of writers who are not covered by the guild that write, you know, on shows that, that make are, a ton there, of money. There's, and there's like hundreds of episodes. Hundreds of episodes, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, like, yeah. you know, Freeform or wherever. No kidding. So yeah. that's like sort of this weird loophole. It is. It's a weird loophole. And, you know, for us, it was like we were just starting. It was our first paid writing job. What so do you we care? take whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, this is more money than I've ever made. Yeah. Uh, so what I'll was take the it. show? It was called Pepper Ann, and it was created by this woman, Sue Rose, and uh, it was about, like, a single mom raising a 12-year-old girl. And that was the first, uh, I think, series created by a woman uh, starring, like, a, a For girl. Disney. For Disney, yeah. Did it, it was, run for a while? It ran. We did 65 episodes of it. Wow. Yeah. It was on uh, ABC uh, Saturday mornings. See, like I wouldn't. How, how would I? How I would never know that. I know. So it was a popular show. It was a popular show. Saturday morning kids. cartoon. I mean, that's it. It was like a you know whenever it was eight thirty or something on on ABC Saturday morning. It seems mornings. very specific, and it speaks to a very sort of painful reality. Yeah, it was. She had a very active fantasy life, you know, and so she would imagine herself in these like great scenarios and. Uh, you know, for us, it was it was amazing to get to write those kinds of stories. It was like grad school, really, because mm-hmm. I learned. Uh, on the ground, like how to make a TV show, right? From the beginning all the way to the end, I was faking my way through all these meetings because I became like the head writer. You did, yeah. She was like, "Do you want to?" <laughs> they were like, "Do you want to?" You know, the, the creator this? said, that, yeah. "Yeah," and then Disney agreed. So, and you're like twenty. Yeah, I mean, at that time, I was probably 21, <laughs> 22, something like that. And you're the you're the showrunner. Yeah, but I mean, you know, of like a, a show that's like a very small. Show. Right, right. But I but got to st- hire my friends yeah. who were like just out of films. And my friend, one friend was temping. My one friend was giving like tram tours at Universal Studios. I was like, do you guys want to come right on this show? They're like, yes. Yeah, we'll That's quit our crazy. Job. I so, know. Because like despite the fact that it, it, it's animation, you still got to deliver these scripts. Was it a full half hour show? Full half hour show with two 11 uh, minute episodes in the hour. So it was like you had to break two full stories. Per, That's per, really uh, amazing you know, hands-on experience. It was amazing. And you can do it without, you know, without, anonymously almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're just it's, like learning. Yeah. And, 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 and it's on TV. It's and, on TV. Your name is there. Yeah. You know, I'm faking my way through all the production meetings, you know, because they give you all these schedules with these like charts and I had no idea what I was looking at. So <laughs> my trick was always to like never finish a sentence. Uh-huh. So I would always be like, I see you have the, uh-huh. Okay, good. <laughs> Do you think that's enough? Yeah, you know what? Okay, and I, that was it. And then they bought it. I bought. They bought it. The bullshit. Because you must have been delivering good shows. Yeah, I mean, we were doing. You know, we were aspiring to do the shows that we loved, which was like Seinfeld and you know, cheer, like all those kinds. You of had shows that, that in your head, on. yeah, yeah. And we were like, hey, it's just it's for kids, but I think we can do. We can tell smart stories, like. You know, there are sort of the grizzled veterans of animation that have been like <laughs> writing for a long time, and they probably were you over at Disney doing this. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's wild. Um, and they, you know, they probably have the formula that you can plug into or whatever, and it's like, eh, you know, like sort of turning it oh, out. Oh, so there's just people going like, you know, this is this. It's like uh, in Barton Fink, it's a wrestling movie. You know, like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's like search and replace. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, what are we? What is it? Jungle Cubs? It's like all right. So we like search the kid and put it in. 
send it out. We have a template for that. <laughs> That's it. Um, but for us, it was like our, you know, we were so excited and we took it so seriously and we really wanted to like challenge ourselves. So. Do you still work with those people? I do. One of them is named, uh, her Her name is Laura McCreary. She's won a Golden Globe on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's writing on Superstore. She was on Fresh Off the Boat for a while with And she me. was one of your first she hires? Was, was she the tram She tour? was the temp. She, oh, was, she was the, the temp. temp. And uh, she came over, and then the tram tour guy is named Matt Negretti, and he's uh, the showrunner of the spinoff of The Walking Dead show. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was on Walking Dead for several seasons. The showrunner of Walking Dead, Scott Gimple, I hired. Uh, it was his first job, too, and then he became the showrunner of The Walking Dead. At the at the anime? At Pepper Ann? At Pepper Ann. That's, that's where you all started? That's where we all started. And look at the impact you've had on modern television. <laughs> that's it. From that building back then, working on that one show. That's crazy. I know. It was wild. So, it did, now, was it... It must have been kind of mind-blowing just to be at Disney, like just to be in that machine. It like, was. It was. I, all those animation cells everywhere on the wall. And, I mean, classic. Yeah. You yeah. know, Sleeping Beauty, like every single sh- movie you've ever seen. As a kid. As a kid. And you're kind of walking through and, and you you know, they had that one building with all the dwarves holding up yeah, yeah. the thing. And you're just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's everywhere. It's so everywhere. so then, like, then it just starts. Your role starts. I mean, you, you know, that means you enter the... The entertainment ecosystem, a an experienced That's writer it. and showrunner to some degree. That's it. I mean, I got great experience there from you know beginning to end. I learned how to like you know edit yeah. and score and, and sound, there, do sound mixing. And everything. because it was animation, there was none of that sort of like writers' room sort of dick swinging stuff. It was Not just, like that. You brought no. you know you brought your friends in. Yeah, a couple women, a dude. That's it. And you go. And we go. And we like write weird stories that we, you know, want to see. And, and it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And that's it. We got to do what we want to do. So I came in like through a super weird door, you know, right. like a lot of people have to work their way up. Like you're a writer's PA, you become a writer's assistant, then you get a staff writer, you know, so you're kind of indoctrinated early into the way of thinking. Of, and you know that system now because you probably have to sort of deal with that. Yeah, I mean that you know you hire that's the all way those it people. Is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's sort of a nice way to come in. So when does the uh, fun stop? <laughs> well, you know when that show ended, yeah. I was like, all right, well, let me go try uh, real prime people. Time. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. like let's see what's up. Right for humans. Right for humans. Yeah. So I bounced around a little. I wrote on Malcolm in the Middle for a season. I did a um, the staff writer. A staff writer. Yeah. And then I did a a season on. Um, the show called Good Morning Miami, which mm-hmm. was uh, like a multicam. That. It was a morning show thing? Or yeah, what? it was yeah. like a play on a morning show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it ran two seasons, but I came on season two and then yeah. it was canceled. Uh, and that was my only multicam experience because that, that's its own sort of entity. Yeah. I don't know if uh, if you've ever done any multicam stuff. But what, the stage? Like yeah, a, like tape night and all that. Mm-hmm. Like the way, you know, all the sickness live audience? used to be, yeah, yeah. Used to be filmed. It's like, a, it's like a play. It's like vaudeville. Yeah. It's like a live show. It's like a live show. That you stop and start. And it's, yeah, exactly. And you have a guy that comes out in between going, how's everybody doing? Right. We're, we're going to need a big round of applause. <laughs> Throwing oranges or whatever yeah, to sure. people yeah, and, yeah. you know, p- hyping the crowd. Where are you from? Sure. Right. I wonder right. which comic that was. I probably know the guy <laughs> that did warm up. I'm on. sure. And there were like certain studios who love certain comics, yeah. you know, so the guys were always kind of working. It's a good shows. gig, you know, if you can live with yourself because right. you get guild coverage. I mean, it's a, it's a union job. Is it really? I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's not one of those cash things we were talking about earlier. No, that's no, 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 no. I think you're actually on the payroll of the show, you okay. know, in that capacity. I think you do get 
um, you know, it's a it's a guild job. That's cool. Yeah, I it's mean, good. It's definitely a skill to do. Not only that, but to do a multicam. I mean, it is sort of an old school, you know, from the honeymooners days ways of telling stories. You know, there's the scenes are very long. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of entrances and exits. Uh, it's a little unnatural, but you have to understand, like, how to write those rhythms. Well, yeah, it's a, it, everybody's a joke delivery machine. Right. And, you know, it's like, it, it, the, well, I think that's interesting, too, in, in talking about, you know, Fresh Off the Boat and then this movie is that, you know, the movie that uh, you Always Be My Maybe, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. First film you directed, right? That's it, yeah. But it's like, you know, you know, writing for television and writing, you know, comedy in that way, you know, these characters have to be fully understandable, mm-hmm. you know, very immediately. Yeah. To to be able to sort of suspend a little bit of disbelief that they talk like, you know, that they deliver jokes. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. So it's all about character with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, people have got to understand and relate and, uh, you know, empathize and buy. Right. Characters. Immediately, and they and it's it's tricky. It's a hard trick. It's hard trick, and people <laughs> people are good at uh, at that multicam rhythms. You know, they've been doing it a long time. Like that to me is not, uh, you know, that's not the way that I like tell stories. That's not my natural inclination. Right. So you know, I much prefer animation or single camera comedy because. Mm-hmm. Those are just different pace, like storytelling pace. Well, you also jokes. don't have the pressure of of jokes landing right? right in the same way. And you know how it is too. It's like. When jokes land with a live audience on tape night, a lot of times those are the broadest jokes. Sure. You know, and that might not be the best joke for the scene, for joke the story. Jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's a new joke. It's they're, they're go to's. Yeah. You know, that you get like sex, right. like, you know, shit, like yeah. all this stuff. It gets huge laughs. Right. Um, but then when you see it cut into the episode, you're like, what is this? Well, like, why this doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Anything, yeah. Yeah. No. Other than the laugh. Yeah. And it's like, you know, kind of easy. And that show didn't last that long. I mean, you know, that show didn't last that long, but you can understand why like the, like the choices is made because the, the, the reaction is huge. Oh you yeah. Know? Like, People love moment. it. Yeah. I don't like, I, I, I don't like, uh, I grew up with those shows, but it, and, uh, there were so many of them. Yeah, I mean, most of the the shows that like we I grew up with, I'm 55. I mean, they were those shows. Yeah, and some of them were pretty great. Yeah, but like it's just a trick, you know. It's a tr- and you know I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at like Cheers, you know, to see how they. Did. I mean, that was beautiful storytelling. Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore was amazing. Yeah. Seinfeld, I mean, revolutionized the game. Yeah, you know, with the ninety page scripts and ninety like, page know, scripts and all, all these tiny money. scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know the idea that it was about nothing. When Malcolm did that too, though, right? I mean, Malcolm was sort of groundbreaking somehow, wasn't it? Malcolm was groundbreaking in the in the look of it too. Yeah. You know, yeah. they really it, it's almost like it combined animation with live action because it was very stylized, right? You know, there was right. a lot of camera movements, right. a lot of like whip, pan, you know, yeah. Um, it was heightened, yeah, in a in an interesting way. So you wrote on that first, and I then wrote you on that first for uh, one season for one season, and then the Miami show, then the Miami show, and then I went to Seth MacFarlane's show, American Dad, uh, for six back seasons. to animation, back to animation. I've interviewed him. He's, it's that, see that must have really polished up your joke writing. Oh, I capacity mean, so much integrating s- jokes into stories. A hundred percent. But you could go way off the grid with those jokes, right? I mean, you can literally <laughs> like if you have a joke about whatever, you could cut to. The thing that you're making a joke about, then you have a joke about the moon. You can cut to the moon. You can just follow this like thread, you know, yeah. forever. And then you're like, "What were we doing?" And then you come back to the thing. And Seth and I actually met each other at Disney TV Animation because we were both sort of 
just starting out before Seth was Seth. What was he doing? He pitched me an idea for a show that I thought was super funny, but he and I were the only two who liked it. It was yeah. called Old Goat. Yeah. And it was this old goat who just hated everybody, yeah. especially kids. <laughs> yeah. And we just thought it was so funny. And then I tried to pitch it to somebody at, at Disney and they were like, what? We're not going to do that. <laughs> that's no. the whole like, pitch? That's the whole pitch. Cranky goat. A cranky. I'm like, that's so funny. He hates kids. <laughs> like, We're making shows for kids. I'm like, right. Yeah. The kids will think it's funny that they're hated. And yeah. they're like, okay, you're, you're, get out of here. Take that somewhere else. Right. Fired. Wait till the future for that. Fired. <laughs> <laughs> they fired you? No, no, no. They just kicked me out of the office. So what? So what were? What kind of? Um, what? What were the tools that you picked up working? I mean, that's a long time to be on a show. And, yeah, six and seasons. That, and then you came back to humans. I mean, what did you learn from doing that? Um, uh, just like you said, I mean, Seth created it with these guys, Mike Barker and Matt Weitzman, yeah. and it was just the pace of storytelling. And like, it was interesting too because for adult animation, it's like all animation really, but you you can't like. If I watch your show, which I love, by the way. Thanks. Which uh, one, Glow or my show? Marin. Marin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I could watch you walk into the kitchen and feed the cats and make yourself some tea because I'm like, oh, what's he doing? Look at him. He's just a genius. Look at this guy, how he makes tea. <laughs> but on. in animation, I can't do that. Like, no right. one wants to see a cartoon walk in and pet the cat and make tea. You're bored. You're right. like, what's yeah. happening? So yeah, yeah. Just like, you know what I mean? You why gotta... aren't these cartoons doing more? <laughs> right, exactly. They can. They can do anything. <laughs> they can fly across the room if we want. Like, why do we have to, well, we're not, you know, encumbered by human rules. That's interesting. Rules. Right. So the pace of storytelling is, is accelerated. You've got right. to get to it. And you pack a lot of story in and then you've got to have jokes because it's like. I guess that's a Simpsons thing too. I think yeah. that must have been the. The Seinfeld of animation. 100%. Yeah. You know, Simpsons is still, you know. It's crazy. I mean, crazy. I did. I, they years. had me on an, epi- an episode where I played myself. Did they really? Yeah, I interviewed Krusty. <laughs> uh, that was the framing. That was the bookend of the story was that he was, I was, he was doing podcasts with me. That's and amazing. And I was interviewing Krusty and we went off from there. But I, I, you know, I was not a Simpsons kid. You know, I seemed to miss everything. But I watched it, and I was like, "It's tight. It's really still quite a machine." You it's know, it's really funny. Really funny. Yeah. And they still, ha- I haven't seen it in a little bit, but I have friends that work on that show, and like, they still seem very like relevant too yeah. to like what's happening. And I don't know, thirty years, it's crazy. It's crazy. I know. Billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. If you go to the Fox lot, they're like every you know, all the bushes are shaped like Homer and sure. like the donuts and everything yeah. like that. They know where their bread is buttered. <laughs> so okay, so after doing like and then you go back and create your first show? Create my first show while I was writing on um on American Dad, I wrote the pilot for Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment Twenty Three. And um, initially had written it for Fox. Yeah. And everybody was really into it. And they were like, yes, this is going to go. We're going to shoot this pilot. And then suddenly it was dead. You know, one of those things where you never know. You know, they're sending you lists of directors, potential directors. And then suddenly you get the call like, no, no, it's not happening. Well, when did you have the experience? Like when like when did you have the the common experience of women writers in these male oriented writer rooms? Well, the most women I worked with in those rooms was (laughs) on Pepper Ann was the very first you know room that I put together. Um, but after that, I mean, I was one of, you know, sometimes I was the only woman. Sometimes I was one of two. Yeah. Um, yeah, never. I don't think I ever worked on a show that had more than two women. But like something like American Dad, I mean, that writer's room must have gotten pretty filthy and wrong minded at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. Like you just. But is that bad or is that okay in your mind? I mean, like, because I, I know it's this weird 
like I know from personal experience because you know I didn't have a huge budget, and you know when I when I staffed Marin, yeah, you know there were the the showrunners were two guys, mm-hmm. and then I only had a couple like three slots, and, right? You know, and I didn't hire a woman, but if I'm you know if I'm in, to be honest with myself, I think there was part of me that was sort of like, are we gonna be able to you know talk <laughs> about the stuff? Right, right. <laughs> Like what? Are we not going to be able? Yeah, to be, to, you know, to, to make dick jokes, just not even for the show, but just to hang out. Because like, well, I mean, because you sit in those rooms for hours, sometimes mm-hmm. not doing anything but just looking at each other, trying not to fall asleep until someone says something horrible, and then <laughs> right. you at least wake up. Right. At least the dick joke snaps you out of it. Like whatever. <laughs> Whatever thing that you're just sometimes you do got to wake up with a dick joke. <laughs> you you need just, one, yeah. But did you it. find that? Um, well, you know, like because I wasn't the one making those choices. Like right. it's weird for me to know, right? Because I've only o- ever. But did you feel uncomfortable? Oh, I think it... no, I, right. I didn't feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I think because I'd had the experience and I knew that, like, this is the show we're on. You right. know what I mean? Sure. And a lot of those guys uh, are amazing writers, right? And I think that. You know, it's it's different when you look back, like, with, like, a 2019 lens right. on something. Sure. You know, I started on that show 2004. Right. So it's, like, 15 years ago in a writer's room, I, I imagine there's a lot of stuff now that you probably couldn't do or say. Yeah. But it was all in service of the show and just being funny it i never in felt room, like right. yeah i never felt like well that's sort of threatened right yeah. right or 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 that right you're threatened or that you know disrespected right i mean it's it's like those you know it, it it's just when you come at it from a different point of view when you're talking about like the female characters in the show sure, sure. you know they're just not as fleshed out right. as these other characters and right. it's not it's not because that was a choice it just that's not as important to what you're doing. Uh-huh. So it's like when those choices are, it's like kind of latent thing where you're like, God, I, w- I wish we had stronger female characters on this show. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we all try. And I think every, you know, a lot of people have felt that way. So yeah. it's like you try to, you know, do what you can. But uh, the show is about uh, a guy, you know, a patriarch of a family, right. And has an alien in the in the attic. So yeah. you're like, I mean, that's the joke. Like the comedy comes from that. You right. know what I mean? Right. So it's like. So it's just about where you kind of focus, you know what I mean? Right. And then like you were able to sort of weave that and then create a very strong female character lead. Well, that's the thing. And yeah. so I was like, but I love the idea of people just being fucked up, you know yeah. what I mean? And like behaving badly. Right. But to me, like I love women behaving badly sure. or like unapologetically, Yeah. you know, and not apologizing because that's yeah. the thing. It's like, I hate that role that you've seen in so many, you know, wives and moms, whatever. Right. It's like apologizing for everything for your kid or your your husband or yeah, yeah. Your, the state of your house or yeah, whatever right. it is, you know. And it's yeah. like that's so boring to me. Um, so when I did Don't Trust the Bitch, I was like, I want to just center this girl who's yeah. like got the morals of a pirate. You yeah. know what I mean? She doesn't care. Yeah. Um, a hot monster. A hot monster, you know? <laughs> That's it. And then I thought it would be funny, like, the way in to, like, pair her with just a normal roommate who's, right. like, watching Dancing with the Stars and eating Chipotle. You know what yeah. I mean? But it's like, who is this crazy monster that I'm living with? Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, and that, that was did that. well, right? It did well, yeah. I mean, I think that um, we had two seasons on ABC. You know, honestly, it wasn't a match for... It's not a good fit for the Disney. Where would you you're right? So what do you think happened with the show? Um, well, I think like I know Paul Lee, who was the president of ABC at the time, like was the one who greenlit the show. He yeah. loved it. I know all the executives loved it. Twentieth uh, Century Fox was the studio; they loved it. And yeah. then, you know, it's just like is it's not 
necessarily an ABC network show. So they put it on like the latest time slot they have for comedy, which is 930. Right. Um, and we were paired with the show Happy Endings, which was also like a critical, you know, favorite. But I don't right. think it got the ratings right. that anybody wanted. Yeah. But it was also like a weird time because it was before like now they they incorporate like the live plus threes, live plus sevens. Right. All the the streaming stuff on Hulu, like that, all gets counted. Right. When we did that show, it was like 2011, 2012. Well, none so of that was, stuff was in place. No, it was right yeah. before. So I feel like we kind of we were just a little bit too soon because I feel like people were consuming it, and right. you know, because I I felt it like people were like, oh my god, I love your show, but the number, right. that same old Nielsen number wasn't, right. you know, the art, the ancient method. Uh, have you seen? It still works the same way. I know. Uh, from the seventies, yeah, I don't know what it, it, there's, there's some it, some sort of fixes in around advertising. I don't know what it is. I don't either. Because it's like with radio, they had these Arbitron ratings that were based on listener diaries, and they just they held <laughs> on to that forever. Because I think there's a way to bend the numbers. Right, right. You know, they keep like I think the big trick of that is, and I don't know, I'm just talking out of my ass, but it just seems like how can we make these sort of vague enough or expansive enough to we when we present this stuff to advertisers. That it's slightly confusing, but we can get the money. Right, exactly. <laughs> we don't want people to understand it too well. It's like insurance. Like, what's, right. what is this? What is covered? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, we've got this demographic <laughs> nailed. The, you know, the ages seven to fifty-six. <laughs> For, what? Isn't that everybody? Yeah. Kind of. It's like no, no. Exactly. It's everybody. <laughs> what listener diaries? Radio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, they would write, like, hey, I like this What show. they listen to, you know. And then uh, mail it in? Yeah, I, I don't remember if it was mailed. I don't know how they were chosen, but they were, you, you, but it was just, it was just crazy. They were supposed to, you know, keep these diaries of their listening, you know, habits. Wow. I mean, with all the technology, that's the weird thing about certain things, like, I you know. know, like voting and all these other things. It's like, the technology <laughs> is there to do this stuff pretty efficiently. Right, yeah. But they, they avoid it. They Why? avoid it. Because there's, they like the wiggle room. Mm-hmm. They and th- that's the way that they've done. But you know, it's so hard. Break the system. Yeah, to change the system from within. But then you had like the outlet. That's why Netflix just blew everything up. Yeah. Because they could track exactly and they what do you're watching. and not tell you and not tell you. Yeah, it's a genius system. I know, you Allie. Know Allie, last night we had to do a Q and A for the movie, and she was like, "Can anyone tell me how Tuca and Birdie is doing?" And no one, no one would tell her. She's like, "Well, someone let me know. Is is my show being watched?" And they were like, "We don't. We can't tell you." <laughs> it's a real racket, man. I, I think it's just like you no. Know, what it comes down to is that you know the truth would mean that someone's going to have to take a hit financially, right? On any level, it's right. like we can't let the cat out of the bag, or the whole house of cards is going to fall down. That's it. And they're going to realize no one's buying anything because of this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like remember, like the first, remember when TiVo was introduced? Yeah. And you could skip through commercials, yeah, and people were freaking out. Yeah. And then they started incorporating like Coca Cola into the shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Tina Fey is these, like drinking. These people have to right? learn why we have commercials. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was like they immediately. What would you rather see? Everybody wearing these things and drinking these <laughs> things, or just watch the commercials like regular people? Just watch the commercials. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, dummies. So angry. I've watched. My, I find myself watching commercials because I watch Rachel Maddow. Like that's the only thing I watch in real time. Okay. And I just watch those basic cable commercials, and wow. I'm like, who's watching this show? <laughs> <laughs> Who like what are some of the advertisers? Prevagen. So out of that, the memory th- pill. Oh man. For old people, <laughs> and there's. <laughs> Like I, I don't know. There's just it's just a very odd collection of of ads that I see over and over again. 
and then I make reference to them in my act, and I realize like no one's watching these ads, and like you used to be able to do jokes about commercials. Oh yeah, because we all watch the same commercials. Now I'm like, what are you talking about? I know those classic <laughs> SNL sketches. Yeah. about you know, yeah, no Jewish more. jeans and all that stuff. Yeah, like all that. Yeah, no Done. more. So right. all right, so what? So do you when you finish the uh, the bit show? Yeah. Do you have a deal? I mean, is that in a deal? Yep. I was on an overall deal at 20th. So um, they, I started that deal when I was on American Dad. So I did a uh, bitch for two years on that with Kristen Ritter and James Vanderbeek and Dreamer Walker there. Yeah. Eric Andre was on that show. Oh, he's, a, he's that, something. He is amazing. Yeah. That was his first. I haven't seen him lately. Is he all right? I, I don't know. He might be passed out in his. It's like you don't know. It's like, are you living the thing that you're doing? What is happening? You know, right. I like him a lot, though. Yeah. He's great. But he was is not that. I remember when he was like, can you, do you want to come to the premiere of my show, the Eric Andre show? I was like, yeah. We went and watched the first two episodes. I was sh- like, I was like, what is this? <laughs> That's who you are? That's who you are? Like, which one is the real you? You're such a sweet guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he's both. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yes, that show ended. And then after that, the next year, or the next development season, I guess, uh, is when I had a couple of things I was working on, a couple of pilots. I sold something to Fox, and then Melvin Marr, one of the producers on Fresh Off the Boat, sent me the manuscript, the memoir of Eddie, of Eddie Wong's book, and yeah. said, hey, just take a look at this. I know you already have something, but maybe there's something here. And I read it, and I related to it so much from what we were talking about. You know, my parents are both not born here. Yeah. My brother and I are first generation. And sort of that being that bridge between right. your house and the outside world, you know yeah. what I mean? And uh, and there's the the memoirs his entire life, I think up to 30 years old or whenever he was when it was published. Um, but there's a section of it in the mid 90s where his family moves to Orlando to start uh, his dad to to start a Western themed steakhouse. And I was like, that to me is the series, like yeah. that, you know, whatever the chapter. Like if like you was. had made that up, people would be like, no, right. But because, you know, because it, it was had, out of real life, yeah. that's it. And, you know, it was like two chapters in this longer memoir. I'm like, yeah. this is the ABC series. Right. You know, this family moves to the white suburbs of Orlando so the dad can start, you know, Cattleman's Ranch. Um, a Chinese man. A Chinese man. Yeah. Taiwanese. That's Chinese it. That's man. what we were talking about earlier. That's the hustle. It's like, this that's is a great country. That's Just it. Just figure out the bullshit you want to sell. Yeah. And you can be whatever you want. <laughs> you can. And you yeah. watch the right thing. You watch John Wayne enough. You're like, yeah. I can get a hat like that. Sure. I can get boots. And yeah. Like, you know, why not? Why not me? That's a classic American uh, rig outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, so then uh, it, we were going to take it around to pitch. I'd just gotten my show canceled at ABC, so I was like, I don't want to go to ABC. And then Paul Lee and Sami Falvey, who was the head of comedy, yeah. were like, can we take you to lunch? They took me to lunch, and they were like, here's why we want you to bring this show here. My whole thing was like, I don't want to be like, you know, Charlie Brown, and you're Lucy with the football. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to hold it, and I keep missing, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah. I, you know, you just canceled my show. Did you use that analogy? Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know if I did at the time. <laughs> I can't remember. I might have. Um but they uh, they were convincing and they were like, we, you know, we're not just paying you lip service. Like, this is a family show. This is what we want to do. This is yeah. a Disney brand. So we wound up selling. We had offers from um, multiple networks and uh, sold it to ABC. So we shot the pilot. It was one of those things where, you know, we started. Nobody really thought it was good because it had been 20 years, like we said earlier, since Margaret Cho's show. So it was like, are people really going to watch an Asian family? There's no data. Right. Like executives love data. They're like, what what can I look at to prove that this is a thing that could succeed? There wasn't anything for 20 years. So nobody knew. They were like, you know what? Let's just 
let's just shoot this pilot. Now, when you entering that, like that idea, because now, what are you really banking on? I mean, it's like when you're talking about audience, are you like there, there's a big Asian audience out there, or are you thinking like you know this is a, a family show? with characters that are strong that everybody can relate to and even right. if they can't they'll understand. Yeah. That- I think it's to me it's it's a combo of all of those things. It's also about the immigrant experience. Right. Because that to me is what I connected to yeah. and I think it's that feeling of being an outsider. Right. You know, of coming into a culture that you don't quite understand, a place that you don't know, feeling isolated. Right. And sort of being on the outside looking in. And that's what we were banking on, you know. Right. And then you have these kids that are completely encultured yeah. American. That's it. That have a distance from their Parents. actual immigrant roots. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're Asian American. You know, yeah. they're all born here. Yeah. And, you know, so the kids are trying to convince their mom why they need the new Jordans. Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? You have sneakers. <laughs> and, you know, like it's that kind of yeah. you're, you know, sure. you're trying to communicate. Uh, and then, you know, you bring your your weird food to school. Right. And, you yeah. know, so it's like it's the you're co- you're in between these two places. Yeah. Um, Bringing so, the weird food to school. That's important. <laughs> it is so, like, that's so relatable, yeah. I think, for a lot of people who didn't grow up with, you know, ham and cheese sandwiches. Oh, yeah, or just yeah. as a person that, like, grew up with that stuff and then encountering it, you're like, what is It's fascinating. Right, right. You know, like, You're like, what's that smell? But the weird thing is, is, like, it, it, almost any other kid's food is weird. Like, if yeah. you, like, the, remember, whether they're immigrants or not, if you go to someone else's family's house for dinner, you're right. like, what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> what is this, broccoli casserole <laughs> yeah. or whatever? My mom never makes this. Oh, my God. Mm. Well, I, you know, that's another thing. It's like when your friends come over, all you want, I remember begging my mom, like, can you just make, like, hot dogs? Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't want Persian food. <laughs> no one wants, you Don't know, lima bean rice with, with dill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With our beautiful culture. You know, you're like 11. You're like, I just want pizza. Please, it's hard enough for me. <laughs> it's hard enough. <laughs> you made me take Tadic, the burned rice, to school for lunch, and I got made fun of. So <laughs> It's still going on years <laughs> yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's what we were baking on. And, you know, we uh, the whole casting process, we had to start early because trying to get those three boys. Because they um, got to grow up in public for as long as the show runs. That's it. You know, and you got to you got to you got to find these kids, you know, yeah. like, where are they? And, you know, there's you haven't had to change any out, right? No, no, no. Same kids from the beginning. And a lot of the kids that the first round of auditions were, you know, there's some sort of. Someone somewhere has decided that like there's like a Nickelodeon school of acting for kids, you know, yeah. where like all these kids come in with probably this crazy, USC. probably <laughs> that's it, <laughs> that's a USC for kids. Uh, they, but they, you know, they're big and they're like this, and it's like you know theater kids almost. Uh-huh. And so you, you're trying to get like you know where's it's been the, around since the Mouseketeers probably. There probably. Was a, it's probably been set in stone that you just got to overkid your kid. Right, like smile yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know dance and like whatever. So uh, yeah, you had to tamp them down. Yeah, <laughs> to tamp them down, we had to find like where's regular kids, like where are these kids hanging out. Um, so our casting directors did like a you know countrywide search in Canada. Uh-huh. You know they went to all sort of. Uh, cities that had like big Asian populations went to schools, went it's to most churches. of Canada, the big cities in Canada. <laughs> I mean, in Canada, Vancouver, definitely. Yeah. Huge, yeah. Seattle. Yeah. Um, and Lynn Shelton directed the pilot. Oh, she says hi. Yeah. And she loves you. I know. I love her. I'm so excited for your guys' movies, not to get off track, but oh, yeah. Sort of Trust. Yeah. It's funny. She did the first one, the very yeah, first Yeah. She uh, did the pilot. Yeah. And then, you know, she's done multiple episodes since then. But uh, it was great to work with her on that. 
Um, she's, good. she's good with actors. She's good with comedy. She's a real fan of laughing. She is. And yeah. you would always pitch stuff to her when you're like, is this funny? She's like, yeah, that's funny. Let's try it. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is my favorite thing because yeah. I love working with people that you respect and admire and you're all just trying to do the best thing. You know what I mean? There's no other right. agenda or ego. So you create it and then you write the pilot script mm-hmm. and then, you know, you write throughout, you know, because you, you're a writer, right? But, yeah. with, but directing, like, it was not something you wanted to do. It was not something I, I thought about doing. I directed a few episodes of Don't Trust the Bitch right. just because our line producer, Jeff Morton, was like, you should really direct these. Yeah. And I was like, eh, I'm not really into I'm like one of the few people who didn't want to always be a director. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I love writing. But at a certain point, it just becomes a little bit easier to just do it yourself because you know exactly what you want. And also, it's sort of like, why not be in that guild, too? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And just like, join. I have many. an opportunity. I can just decide that I'm going to direct, and then I can be in the get the card, and get be, the card, get the screeners, yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I got to get an extra card uh-huh. and uh, join <laughs> join that guild. You got all the cards now, I guess. Probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, but I, it was never. I never thought that I would direct the pilot of, right. of Fresh. So um, right. you know. Lynn came in and we worked together on it. But now, cool. like, you know, it's it's funny because with a, a situation like this, unlike I think some more, some sort of comedies that are stuck in, in a world that's, that doesn't age, mm-hmm. is that like, you know, you can keep growing with these characters. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you have kids, you know, you've got to deal with all this stuff that they all go through. For sure. And with, with parents aging. So it, it's sort of like if you can keep the family together. Right. You know, you you can just go for as long as it takes. Yeah, it opens up a lot of storytelling, I think. And too. you just got picked up for a sixth season? Sixth season, yeah. That's crazy. We've done, up until now, we've done 101 episodes. So I think we're doing 15 more this year, which is crazy. It's and, it's, and it's being syndicated. Being syndicated, yep. Sold it into syndication. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like the anti-Simpsons that we were talking about. Right. where like they never age and they right. can, you know. Yeah. This is like, yeah, you're telling different stories because the kids are getting older. Right. So you're not telling, you know, 11-year-old kid stories. You're telling 16-year-olds. So what – now, how did – like, I know Allie wrote on the show. She wrote on the show for the first two seasons. And I've known her – like, I, I've I've actually known her longer than she thinks I, I do, I, I probably. Because I, I think she featured for me in San Francisco before she left San Francisco. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, I'm a big fan, and I see her all the time. She's And the best. Uh, she breastfed on my podcast. So. <laughs> I know. I heard that episode. I loved it. She is the – well, so I had seen her stand-up. Yeah. I'd watched a bunch of her stuff online when I was staffing up the room. Yeah. And I remember asking, I think her manager or whatever, I was like, does she have any samples, writing samples? They were like, yeah, absolutely. So they sent a script over, and I'm reading it, and I get to page nine, and it ends. So I, I call and I was like, hey, I think there was some weird thing with the PDF file. Like yeah. only nine pages came through. And they're like, no, that's it. <laughs> so like, she wrote it the night before. She to... wrote it the night before. I don't know when. She, she just banged out nine pages like, here you go. So I just had to meet with her yeah. because of that. I was right. like, okay, well, I have to sit down. <laughs> Who sent this nine page sample? She's Because she's such an uh, ambitious, focused person. <laughs> like They need a package. She's like, oh. Okay, and she just did as much as she could, and that was it. Just send it in. She just sent it in. Yeah. I don't know what – I have no idea uh, what it was about or whatever, but I was like, okay, I'm going to meet with her. Yeah. And then we sat down, and we just clicked immediately. And I was like, she's so funny and great. Yeah. And I was like, but are you wanting to commit to this? Like, this yeah. is a full-time writer's thing, you're mon- you know, Monday through Friday, whatever. I know you're a stand-up. But I think – I told her, I was like, I think the hours shouldn't be crazy – so, you know, if you wanted to perform at night, whatever. And she was like, yeah, I'm in. So she agreed and 
She was there every single day. Yeah. She was amazing. And, you know, and then she became a big comedy star in mm-hmm. the interim after she left the show, just after. That's and it. then, so how does this movie come together? How does it, it, it all get ar- arranged or set up? So she blows up, right? right? Her comedy special, Baby Cobra. When did you shoot this? In Between Babies? She shot it In Between Babies. Okay. Yeah. And she shot it, she was prepping her... Uh, her material while we were working on Fresh Off the Boat. So she would go up at night right. in like little clubs and working yeah. on it. She got married during that time. She got pregnant. And I remember her saying that uh, she was shooting, I think they shot it over two nights, maybe in Seattle. Yeah. And, um, you know, she was like, uh, there were expectations, nobody expected anything, right? Like this was her first. From Baby Cobra. From yeah. Baby Cobra. It was her first special. And she was like, look, I'm. I watched it and I knew right away. I'm like, this is it. She is. She has such a clear voice, and she's so funny and unafraid. But I was complimenting her after I saw it on her story structure, which is like the way she structured her stand-up yeah. is like a narrative. Right. You know what I mean? She comes out, first of all, doesn't talk about her baby for the first 20 minutes. She's clearly pregnant. Like was, she's wearing I like thought that was great. Brilliant. Yeah. And confident, yeah. you know, like so much, like nervous. I think a lot performers. Why the fuck you? Yeah, <laughs> she's a, you know, it's like what? What? Yeah, what yeah, are you gonna do? Yeah. Like we all know I'm pregnant, yeah, yeah, but you're yeah. gonna wait. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not nervous. Right, I have the confidence to know, and then just the the ride she takes you on as the right, audience. and then the twist ending. Twist ending. Yeah. So she wrote this movie with Randall. Yeah. Sorry. So her thing blew up. Baby Cobra blew up. She gets interviewed by a bunch of different yeah. people. New Yorker does a big profile on her. And in it, she says, uh, me and Randall Park, who have known each other forever, mm-hmm. uh, want to do their version of When Harry Met Sally. So based on that line alone, she gets all this, like, people are calling her agents. I mean, like, where's right. the script? We're, we yeah, want right, it. Right. So they're like, we should probably write this script. <laughs> um, <laughs> so her and Randall wrote it with their friend, Mike Galamko, who they all knew each other from, like, a theater group uh-huh. in UCLA. And um, they asked me, they set it up at Netflix and then who Allie had a relationship with because of Baby Cobra. And then they're like, will you come aboard just as a, a consultant to help us with the story and, yeah. you know, whatever. So I was like, absolutely. Uh, so that's how I first came on. And then uh, through a course of events, I was supposed to direct this other movie that fell apart. And then they were like, would you want to direct our movie? I was like, absolutely. I'm in. So, yeah. And that was that was how you wanted to start your film directing career. I mean, you know, it was so unexpected because I was going to do this other thing. And then at the last second, uh, it was like big changes at Lionsgate. So there was like corporate restructuring. And so that movie kind of fell apart like yeah. 24 hours before I was supposed to go scout in Atlanta. Yeah. So I didn't have time to think about like Allie and Randall's movie as my directing thing. So I was like, oh, shit, like this other thing fell apart. Yeah. And then they immediately they were like, what about our thing? And then that just like just sort of clicked into place. I was like, of course, like that makes sense. Well, I got to watch it, you know, and it's weird because I watch a lot of movies like, you know, I, you know, I never know what's going to happen. It, it is one of those movies where you're like, there's got to be a happy ending. There's got to be a happy ending. Right, right, right. Yeah, we're not going to be surprised at the end and it's not going to work out somehow. Right. So, but, but like what I found great about it is that, 
you know, you have to, not unlike a lot of comedies, there there is a certain suspension of disbelief a little bit, but mm-hmm. the characters are so great and they're so grounded and, you know, you believe the relationship and it's very sweet okay. and the history of it is great. Yeah. And they, and I was surprised, I, you sold the, the aging thing. Like <laughs> I, she did all, I mean, this is a woman who just had a baby and I'm buying her as a teenager. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was kind of surprising. I mean, you know, we did a little bit of de-aging work on them, but not a ton, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And it was all like wardrobe and stuff like that and really trying to sell it. And But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a testament to those guys. Like Ali and Randall, you know, and the three of us really were like, we want this movie to feel grounded. It is a rom-com. So, you know, that like any kind of genre, you know the beats. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, and yeah. I, did, I didn't have, I, I didn't really have an issue with it. And I thought it was very warm. And I thought, like, I thought that the characters were, you know, especially, you know, oddly, you know, whatever happens between... You know when Ali uh, disappears and becomes a celebrity chef. Yeah. Uh, you know whatever happens in those years between, like the character of Randall, given what he went through psychologically and emotionally, that character I thought was you know very deep and and yeah. and and really the evolution of him, the change that both characters made. Like I think he sold it pretty well. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I think you know we wanted to sort of subvert any expectations in terms of like these two people yeah right where it's like Allie for for, you know for starters is like a successful career woman in the movie and also in real life so it's like we wanted that to feel real you know you can also it did I think she did a great job acting yeah I did too I, I was blown away by her like I thought I you know I know she's funny but she sold a lot of these emotional moments that she's supposed to sell because it's coming from a real place yeah you know and it's like you can be successful and also be vulnerable. Yeah. And I think, like, that's women that we actually know. Well, yeah, and there's that, that constant sort of play of, like, you know, it starts with the phone voice saying, and they, like, mm-hmm. that that she had sort of buried something. Yeah, exactly. And she might have been aware of it. She might not have been. Maybe it was just the way she needed to live her life. But right. but to you sort of get her back that's it. into the vulnerability was, like, it was great. It was a great turn. That's great. I, I mean, I would go as far to say is that, you know, the surprise... You know, as great as it was, mm-hmm. was kind of crazy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that is that heightened, heightened moment. It is. It's yeah. very heightened. Yeah. You know, and I guess we well, let's go ahead and talk about it. I mean, you have Keanu okay. Reeves as this sort of like, you, you know, compulsive love interest that happens out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of a huge twist and it's really Keanu and he's playing Keanu. He's playing Keanu. And like, I didn't doubt that they could have been together, but and I didn't quite doubt that it could have escalated as quickly as it did. Right. But, right. you know, because why wouldn't it? Right. I mean, yeah. It's Keanu. Right. He doesn't. And then know. the scene at the hotel was in the, the weirdo girlfriend that, that Randall has. <laughs> like, that, that all made sense. But, uh, but I still think that even with that whole scene with Keanu in the hotel room, that mm. it, it was really Randall's scene. Totally was Randall scene. And that you're tracking that whole sequence is Randall's sequence. Yeah. You know, and to talk about Randall for a second, it's like the that character that he's playing, that sort of emotionally stunted guy who's still living, you know, in his childhood bedroom, working with his dad, smoking weed. Yeah. You know, performing Doing the band at the same club forever. The same club for no money for like, you know, tacos or whatever he's getting right. paid. You know, like he's doing it because he loves it, not for ambition. For him and Allie to sort of combine forces in this movie, you know, to to kind of butt heads in the way that they do, like that whole sequence with Keanu is Randall's sequence because you're tracking his emotion, right? Like, right, he and knows. she has those moments where she really feels for him. Yeah, exactly. When she says, I had a crush on you for 18 years. 
uh, you know, during the game. And he's like, why didn't you say anything? So you break out of this sort of Keanu, you know, kind of zeitgeist like thing yeah. that's happening to have this moment between these two people. And, and then, then you she go starts back. to sympathize for him. Like yeah. she feels bad that, that you know, she's trying to kind of like be in between Keanu and him with this sort of justification of Keanu's treatment of him. That's it. That's it. And he's just taking it and it's just like brutal. Right. And then he finally, so like when we've been screening it, you know, with the test audiences mm-hmm. and stuff, when Randall finally punches Keanu, that gets like a huge cheer. Yeah. And like applause and stuff because like you're so with him and you're like fucking. I think there's a lot of people that want to see that happen anyways. To, <laughs> to, to see Keanu as Keanu take one to the face, <laughs> right? And like just Keanu, a personal problem, just a personal thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audience, yeah. as much as you love Keanu, you maybe you could take one. You know, take a hit because <laughs> you feel like he'll be fine. You yeah. know, oh he's sure, gonna, he's, he's gonna always gonna be back. fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had a great sense of humor about that, too, where he's, like, playing this sort of heightened version of himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, the whole thing, the bit with him wearing glasses with no lenses yeah, in it for yeah. part, like, that was all his pitch. Oh, was it? Which was really funny. I was right. like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, yeah. of course. You're always an <laughs> yeah. actor. Like, I, I thought it was, I thought it all worked great. Oh, good, good. Yeah, that, that was our whole thing. It's like, e- even if you know it's going to have a happy ending and you know that it's it's a rom-com, Hopefully you'll be surprised on the way there. You know what I mean by the characters and the twists and the turn. You know where you're going, but you can still have sure. fun on the journey, right? And I think that um, like that's very satisfying for us because also, you know, centering these like we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but what mm. we're trying to do is show that you can center other people at the the core of these kinds of stories. You know what right. I mean? At these kinds of rom coms, it's like Allie and Randall. You follow them home. You know their families. You know how they grew up. You know you knew, you know a lot about them as people. They're not relegated to these side character roles. You know right. they're not the co- right. the weird coworker. Or, you know the best friend or whatever. Right. Like see, like you know, because that's yeah. You know, when I I watch those things, like you have to to watch them for that. Like you have. Like like you said, you're not reinventing the wheel, but there this this is a good wheel. Yeah. Right. And they don't do them that much anymore. That's it. And uh, and and it's like because just the tracking of the emotional and psychological condition of both these characters, given that, you know, Allie's character had a lot to prove because her Mm -hmm. parents were detached. Yeah. And and, you know, latchkey kid. Right. And Randall, you know, lost his mother. So, you know, that sort of trauma of, of, you know, kind of stifling him and how that carries throughout. Yeah. And how they resolve that stuff is 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 sort of sweet, you know. Yeah, and then that's what you want. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Like you want you want people to be invested. You know, it's it's fun and funny. You're laughing along the way, hopefully. Um, but at in the third act, I want people to care about these people. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to sell everybody out for a big third act set piece that could never happen in real life. You know what I mean? Like that happens a lot with comedies now. There's an insecurity that sort of pervades. You know, to, to sort of transcend the story and make it ridiculous, and and you just take people completely out of it because it's like right, you yeah. Know. Well, I'm glad to, you know. To, I I can feel that you're aware of that. Yeah. I mean, there is like I said, there is a certain suspension of disbelief that has to be engaged, but but they but not to the point where it diminishes any of the characters. That's it for yeah. sure. And so we tried to sort of isolate the suspension of disbelief mostly around the Keanu stuff, right? Where it's like, yes, this is a little heightened, but it's right. also Randall's worst nightmare, right? Personified, right. Yeah. sure. You know, yeah, so yeah. It's, it could be any it could be any guy off the street that she's dating, but it happens to be Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I didn't know who. It was. Um, Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I saw that moment when she's like, "What?" Right, right. You don't know. You don't know. 
You don't know. And even when um, he walked in, because I was watching on my computer, I'm like, who is that? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> Keanu Reeves. And then you realize where he's like, it's Keanu Reeves. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, oh, he's playing Keanu Reeves yeah, too, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think that uh, it's important and it's kind of what we were talking about earlier in uh, comedy, like in uh, multicams, you know, with the live audience. Having gone through studio testing on this movie, testing it with a live audience, bigger stuff plays well in big crowds. Yeah. So I can see studio movies. Look, I mean, we have the luxury of being on Netflix, so we don't have to worry about like, oh, if we don't come out of the gate with a huge box office right. number opening weekend, right. we're sunk. It's yeah. like, that's the beauty of Netflix. Yeah. So I can see how you chase that dragon, you sure. know, coming out of those tests where it's like everybody wants the big comedy thing in Act 3. Yeah. But what you mm-hmm. sacrifice is rooting for Harry as he's running down the sidewalk trying to get to Sally at the New Year's right, Eve you, party, but, but at in in those certainly in those third act, you know, clusterfucks, you sacrifice the integrity of the entire movie. That's it. You sell it out completely. You right. work so hard, and then because you get nervous or whatever, right? You sell it all out, and then yeah. the ending is like, eh, it's forgettable. It's forgettable. You and leave. I think that, like again, with the cultural sort of that, you know, this is sort of a a a, a, a look into a different type of American cultural, right? Um, Motifs, mm-hmm. you know that I, I like. I'm always excited to see it, even when I watch like Pen Fifteen yes. with the with Maya's Love family. That show. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know any of that stuff, right? You know, and that you know he's sort of old school because of you know the hole that he's like has for for his mother that you know this mm-hmm. cooking thing, and then it's sort of like to see how it inspired her, and then right. the, the the payoff to the new restaurant at the end. You know, like that that can seem a little sappy, which is what I mean. But it but but who cares? Right. I mean, that's what you're doing, <laughs> right? You right. know, you want to land. In there you want people to feel something you know what i mean like that's it it's weird that like I, like i chose to use that word but i'm not using it as criticism no, because no. it's the nature of that thing yeah right exactly exactly it's that emotion you know what i mean like it, it's it's having been invested for an hour and 40 minutes or whatever in this story and wanting that, like craving, it's like in horror movies, right? Right, right. it's the movie, it's, it's the genre. It's yeah. the genre. It's right. like you want a certain thing the way you want it, even if you know it's coming. Yeah, you don't want it, you don't, you're not going to watch that movie hoping that, like, or, or seeing him, like, wrestle with this feeling of inadequacy, inadequacy and fear <laughs> and insecurity that he doesn't manage to get over. Right, <laughs> that he just stays in his childhood bedroom and continues to smoke yeah, weed, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's not a great movie. No, that's not satisfying. <laughs> The end. You know, it might be a great indie movie. Sure, you leave going like, oh, that's, that, that was, was rough, weird. but I got friends like that. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you have a beer and you're kind of like, well, I guess that's real. Yeah, it's too real. Yeah, Why did really we go real. see that movie? That was a bummer. Yeah, what a bummer. Can, we could have just went over to John's house. It's the <laughs> yeah. same thing. Yeah. Talk to John for yeah. an hour. Get his yeah. story. No, but I think it, it was a great job and everybody did thank a great you. job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It was. Thanks. All right, folks, that was great. What a, I, what a, a lovely human. Great story. Comedy, people. Comedy. All right? Okay? Now I will play some guitar for you. I, turn, I took the distortion down a little bit, but kept, kept the bouncy echo. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour. A lot of tour dates coming up. Dig it. Let's jam.
Boomer lives.